Hi, I'm Sam. And I'm Travis Mickle. And this is Fall Risk. We are back at Skydive Midwest Pod Lab. Uh, today it's with Travis Mickle, the one and only. Um, how are you doing, Travis? Pretty good. It's Pretty after good. it's after the our work day. I'm gonna say that in quotations because it was a really light day, um, but we're recording after we're finished for finished with tandems, finished with jumping today, and we're gonna get into his backstory, his origin story, and what he's doing now. Does that sound good? Sounds fun. <laughs> okay, cool. So just to start, let's talk about uh, a few like like historical details. Like, what year did you start skydiving? How old were you? How many jumps do you have so far? Like the works. Um. I started, I started being around skydiving because I grew up in Zephyr Hills, mm-hmm. where uh, Skydive City is. So I started packing when I was 15. That's kind of what brought me into the sport. Okay. And then um, in 08, I was, or sorry, 04, when I was graduating school, my plan had always been to basically just go do some kind of sports in college. but. Mm-hmm. I, I was really bad at that, so <laughs> <laughs> okay, it wasn't good enough. Yeah, and yeah, so it happens when you're five foot ten. Like you're not going to go play professional football. That's just not <laughs> how it works. But I um, started. Uh, I joined the military, and being a parachute rigger was one of the options. And you know, when it's something you already know, it's easy to go into. I did that. Of course, didn't really like the military thing. Okay, because uh, I don't really like being told what to do all the time. <laughs> Which most of us don't, so it's understandable. Yeah. But um, yeah, I did that for four years. I mean, it was okay. It was a good experience for life in general, but it definitely wasn't my favorite thing. And then just got out and started skydiving and back to packing parachutes and working my way up the ladder. And then in 2012, I think, or 2011. Was your first jump? No. My first, first my first skydive was 2009. Okay. But somewhere around 2011, 2012 was when I um, became a wingsuit coach. Oh, okay. To help out with coaching at the local drop zone. And yeah. it ended up turning into a full-time, full-time job. Okay. But yeah, and then uh, so I was a full-time coach, wingsuiting for about seven years, traveled for Wicked Wingsuits, for Tony Suits, um, you know, different companies uh, sponsored by Aerodyne and mm-hmm. L&B, Cookie, all, you know, all the fun stuff, right? <laughs> Vigil. Yeah. And um, then I, I got burnt out and just didn't really want a wingsuit and it honestly it wasn't the wingsuiting as much as it was the newer wingsuiters okay because they were a nightmare and they still <laughs> kind of are in a sense right okay. but it's it's how fast can i get into a freak that's you know, fair yeah i have 25 wingsuit jumps and my buddy just gave me an atc yeah. and like people don't take it seriously yeah. In my opinion, and I got tired of dealing with it. I get and it. I just don't do it. And so now I will coach, but I need to know you yeah. and I'm going to do like a full background check basically yeah. <laughs> because I just don't trust people and they they do. They try to rush into the suit so fast. And then it, 2018, I knew that I needed to make a change uh-huh. and I started trying to find basically a manager job. 
and okay. put myself in a managerial position. That's something that will last a long time. Even if I decided to only do it for a few years, it's still mm-hmm. good on the resume, yeah. right? So that was what I started getting into and trying to find something. And then uh, into the late 2019, early 2020, um, Kristen, my wife, had already been working here at Scott at Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so I had the, the talk with Keith and was the manager here for a couple of years, but... Again, not really my thing. So now I just throw drugs because it's yeah. fun. <laughs> that was going to be one of my next questions is like when, at what point on all of this did you get your instructor ratings? I did my instructor rating, uh, would have would have been 21, um, about mid-season, about okay. June or so. We okay. were short-staffed and, you know, if I could help on the weekend and mm-hmm. it made a big difference. So that's kind of what that ended up. Did you have your AFF instructor rating before that or after? I've never had an AFF rating. Oh, why did I think maybe it was because maybe it was a coach jump I saw you do not too long ago. Yeah, I do. I do love coaching. Like coach jumps are, I I enjoy teaching. I really do. I just, man, the wingsuiters, I just had a hard time dealing with and I just had to let somebody else deal with it. Okay. That's fair. I don't know anything about wingsuiting. I, I have one under my belt and it was... Matt Blank way back in the day at Skydive Paris was like let's do it like okay let's give it a shot I had like 3,500 skydives at the time and he put me through like a super fast FJC uh like a wingsuit FJC and we went up at 8 30 in the morning I was like sweet check I did it I have no interest in doing it again <laughs> like um but I said like I did it once and and that was it uh so I really don't know a lot about wingsuiting or about that kind of, that like subculture of skydiving so <laughs> uh how much tunnel time do you have if any Less than 30 minutes. Oh, damn. Okay. I, I have... Um, Why is that? Because tunnel costs money. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> the tunnel doesn't sponsor me. That's fair. Okay. So the whenever the wingsuit tunnel did come out, um, you know, we were approached and the, the they just didn't have anything in the United States. And for me and my team, it wasn't feasible for us to be traveling back and forth yeah. to Stockholm to try to get that time in it just wasn't uh, feasible for us they are actually working on a wings I was just yeah. gonna ask about that is yeah. that is in that the Orlando. one in okay mm-hmm. that was gonna be my next my next question if it was the one that was going in in Nashville right now or if it was the one that was going in in Florida yeah it's going the the new wind tu- uh, wingsuit wind tunnel will be in Orlando and it's gonna be pretty much right next to the um skydiving hall of fame oh cool would you ever consider i mean since you're we're gonna get into it a little later but like since you also are somewhat based in florida too as well like would you consider a job there like coaching wingsuiters yeah i i would it's different though you're from at least what i've heard from other wingsuit coaches at the other tunnel you're still doing a lot of first time stuff okay which i have zero interest in if you don't want to do it like as a living i don't really have i don't really have the patience to like yeah i don't know for me it's not don't get me wrong like i understand the tourist attraction and Uh like people should do it for sure i'm not saying people shouldn't do it i just don't want to be the guy responsible so they they do do first time wingsuit flights in that tunnel it's not just for seasoned flyers or oh wow yeah no they they have this whole thing you have like a harness and you're tethered inside, uh, and then if you show proficiency, you you get off of that tether. But then you have, I don't know what to call it, like a like a chuck it pole that's okay. connected to your <laughs> chest. Okay. 
and they can kind of guide you around it's in like that a fishing aspect. pole yeah <laughs> essentially yeah <laughs> like it's come cool. over here yeah. no no it's go like over the really there. big tuna the tuna catching <laughs> that's what it looks like too it's all bendy and flexes yeah. it looks weird but like that's what they do for um first timers there i you know i just don't have the interest they do okay. I'm, my understanding is that it is like an hour-long class beforehand yeah so like there, there's stuff leading up to it right mm-hmm. they're not just throwing you in the tunnel but I still don't want to be responsible for yeah, that. Yeah, that's fair. Like one of my friends was flying around in the tunnel, knocked himself out, and like he's a very experienced wingsuiter, you know, mm-hmm. one of the best in the world, knocked himself out for a couple minutes. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not trying to do that. Yeah. yeah no, that's fair. And like the, the the touristy stuff down there, I can imagine like it's just there there are people jerking off, like just having a good time. Like, you know, they don't they don't really care for the safety part of it or like listening or actually learning anything. Like we're just here to have a good time. Kinda. Yeah. yeah. What, what are y'all's plans after this? Well, we're going to finish drinking. We've already had 15 beers. It's I like, wonder, man, that's not the people I want to teach. I wonder how how what the ratio is of people like touristy people have been partying, you know, like what the ratio is of people getting sick. In, in, a, in an environment like that where they're floating and they're moving around and their stomach is dropping out on them while they're like coasting and gliding in the in that in that angle you know what I'm talking about I feel like that's a uh, survey I don't want to do <laughs> <laughs> somebody somewhere should do that <laughs> find out how many is. pukers there are in the tunnel for us <laughs> I mean I know what it is at like a regular tunnel um after working at i fly minneapolis like i don't think we ever had anybody that got sick sick like in the tunnel we had people throw up like before or after but not in in the wind but i'm curious to know like if that percentage of people spikes you know in a wingsuit you know just because like you're it's not a consistent downward motion you're moving forward but you you might also be like riding the wind a little bit differently I, this is how much i know about wingsuiting so i mean with the <laughs> uh with the harness you should be relatively still but again i don't know i've not been there to see the That's drama fair. and and the the bad sides of it but <laughs> that's also the part i don't really want to be involved in um there is aspects so if you if you are signed off on all your stuff uh, mm-hmm. the i guess the way that iFly used to do things yeah you could bring your own people mm-hmm. and you know that's something i would definitely be interested in, in the future but going there to work for first timers not really. Okay. I don't really have the interest in it. I, I mean, I don't have the interest in teaching people to wingsuit their first time that are already skydivers. Yeah. I definitely don't want to deal with people that are not skydivers <laughs> and they're just doing it for a roller coaster ride. Yeah, like, that's fair. Go to Six Flags. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, do you remember what your first skydive was like? Your first one ever? So my first, well. The definition of a skydive is intentionally yeah, so, jumping out of an airplane with so the intent to land. It could be a tan. Like if you remember what your tandem was like, like did you? Do I never a did a tandem. Okay, so do you remember what your first like student jump was like then? Um, yeah, definitely. It was. Uh, it was September in Florida and hot and <laughs> muggy, and I had the biggest freaking balloon suit. I was about. 235 240 mm-hmm. when i did mine okay so we basically had you know two of the biggest instructors one <laughs> on each side of me and uh they also ended up being good friends of mine later on in life oh, which cool. is super fantastic um but yeah i i did the about 30 or 35 somewhere between 30 and 35 um round parachute jumps in the military 
So when I did uh, my first yeah. AFF jump, I didn't pull. Okay. Because I, <laughs> I did the typical, like, I'm looking at my altimeter, but I'm not reading the numbers. Yeah. So I just kept looking at my altimeter. And at the bottom end sequence, it's just like, pull. And I'm like, why are you guys pointing at each other? <laughs> so I'm just looking back and forth while they're pointing at each other. And they eventually dumped me out. And, of course, I was a packer. So mm-hmm. at that moment, I looked and saw that I was at 3,500. And, and yeah. both of my instructors are dumping their their crossbrace parachutes at mm-hmm. 2500 and i'm like i'm so sorry <laughs> of course they can't hear me but i'm still i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah so what did you do wrong uh i'm gonna fix that i promise <laughs> yeah so the rest of the aff went pretty smooth but man i was i was a packer and i was broke yeah. so i finished my aff in like three months mm-hmm. and then didn't make another skydive for six months because I just didn't have money. Okay. And then finally was slowly picking it up. A friend um, that I was packing for had a big old rig, like 240 Spectre with all the stuff. So I had an AAD RSL. I was good to go as a student. I could use his equipment and not have to rent. So it saved me money. That's cool. I was packing his rig. I just threw him some free pack jobs every now and then, and it helped me out. I think I did my AFF for less than $1,000. That's cool. Just because I grew up there, and, yep. you know, I, all pretty much all the coaches and, and um, AFF instructors were friends that just wanted me in the sky. So, yep. hey, man, if you're not taking mm-hmm. money out of my belly, then, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll take you on a skydive. So whenever they were done with tandems, I would just be like, you you available? You available? Can yeah. we go? Can we do? Can we get one in? Just yeah. one? And then I had friends that were getting their coach ratings. And so they were fresh coaches. And then, oh, we'll just go do coach jumps because mm-hmm. like, whatever, let's just go fly. And so I didn't get charged for those. Mm-hmm. So I just got super, super lucky. Yeah. With I've been super lucky in skydiving in general. I've been there. I, that's that's how my that's how I started too. Is I started working at the drop zone and then made friends with a bunch of people, and it just kind of worked out where I got to do all, all of it for like slots or super cheap. Yeah, super cheap jumps. So I feel you on that. That's that's yeah. nice. Yeah. I'm very lucky. If you can slip in that way, that is the way to mm-hmm. go. But that is the hard way to go. You know, yeah. that's that's like almost the uh, example of. Uh, you know, sleeping with the instructor for your tunnel time, right? What not that kind of the equivalent, I guess? I, I mean, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, what made you want to be a skydiving instructor? Um, you know, I didn't. Okay. All right. I, I never really had an interest. I, you know, at some point when I was a packer, I knew I wasn't going to pack forever. Yeah. So at some point I was like, I have to get a tandem rating. But then I was doing the wingsuit coaching thing for so long that I was like, man, maybe I can just get away with not having to get a tandem rating. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of pushed it off for a very long time. And then by the time that I ended up getting it, I was like, well, this is actually really easy. But I also, man, I had almost 6,000 jumps when I did my tandem rating. Yeah. So like it, it, it made it pretty easy. Yeah. (laughs) Way better than somebody who has 600 jumping. (laughs) What do you like to do outside of skydiving and flying? Mostly um, playing disc golf and video games. I I, I say if I was going to break it down into two things, it would be those two things. If we're going to add a third thing in there, then it's demolishing food. (laughs) But (laughs) I I would say that those are my three favorite activities. Um, 
disc golf was something that kind of came into my life in like 2018, 2019. And it was just, I don't know, super peaceful. Yeah. Being outside with your friends and mm-hmm. just kicking in. Yeah. It, I don't know, it was it was awesome. It's kind of what I, I, I've I've enjoyed most. And then now we have other friends here that continue to play. So we try mm-hmm. to play often. We talked about the disc golf thing a little while ago. And uh, where was I? I think I was over. I was down at PetSmart in Kenosha and there's a Dick's Sporting Goods right next to it and I was yeah. there looking at discs and I was like I don't know what any of this is because <laughs> they were all listed by different like the different types they're, um, they're yeah. really confusing yeah I was yeah. looking at drivers and then I can't remember what some of the other ones were called but I was like I don't know what any yeah, of this does yeah pretty much when you're when you're when you're starting um, and you're learning disc golf a lot of pro players will tell you to basically just start with just a putter in a mid-range, mm-hmm. like the low-speed discs, because they're easier to control in the beginning. They're harder to control later on as you add more power, which is mm-hmm. kind of a weird concept. But the they're easier in the beginning. So then you can just throw and practice and get used to your normal straight flights. Mm-hmm. But just like anything, if you want to get good at something, you have to practice. Mm-hmm. In my case, I watched hours and hours of youtube videos of like this is how you this is the proper technique this is more power this is proper putting this is and it's like man at the end of it you're just like all right i've I've heard this same thing from 15 different people but you know you got to put it into practice and that's that's difficult how do you feel about using youtube as a resource for 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 things like this like so i mean they're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like the skill needed to like perform um but like you just talked about how you were doing how you watched a lot of tutorials and and breakdowns of how and what what technique is like or what different techniques are like and stuff but then we also see people like that in skydiving where they're like i watched all the youtube videos that were available online about this particular thing and they come in you know and it, you, you know exactly what i mean the youtube kids the thing is, and there could be a system where that could be productive yeah. the problem is that it's such a small market like skydiving is only so big to begin with yeah and then we've got you know what 10 percent of them are wingsuiters or something right so you're mm-hmm. taking that 36 to 40,000 and you're turning it into 4,000 mm-hmm. in my eyes that's not a market yeah that's just a bunch of idiots that <laughs> you know want to go fly around and do dumb stuff mm-hmm. but personally I, I actually had thought about making um, a YouTube channel specifically for like wingsuit coaching and mm-hmm. tips and tricks on how to do things but it's not profitable there, yeah. There's no money in it because yeah. you have to have X number of views for you to start getting money from YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so then I would need those 4,000 people to watch the video like 100,000 times each mm-hmm. for it to even do anything. Yep. So there are coaches that I know that are starting, they have their own websites mm-hmm. and you pay like a subscription fee yeah. or whatever and and you get their videos, their information through the, your yeah. subscription. Yep. Um, I've seen other avenues like Patreons. I've, I've seen that before, like where you pay $1 a week, you know, and you get extra content on top of whatever it is like people are already putting out. But they're also trying to uh, put out merchandise 
in in tangent with whatever like content like uh digital content content they're putting out so people are supporting and like paying for you know hats or t-shirts or stickers or water bottles or whatever what patches whatever the thing is that they're selling um i've seen people monetize stuff like that like in the two opposite ends of the spectrum like patreon where people are sponsoring you to like keep creating content and like putting new stuff out and then also through merchandising and and things like that so i've seen patreon um they have there's a big company in disc golf that does youtube stuff as well Mm -hmm. and they also have a patreon but you know to me i'm watching it because i am getting what i want out of it Mm -hmm. you know like i don't know i i have a hard time spending money on something i can't see yeah so for me to spend an extra couple dollars on Mm -hmm. a subscription when it's just like you don't know what you're going to get like a mystery box right you send a candle company 25 dollars, and you don't know what you're going to get you might get a poop flavored candle (laughs) right that's not that's not what i want yeah you know i want to pick what i want so stuff like that like patreon and uh, they're same thing with uh video games right there's all these streamers that yeah subscribe and join and like and uh, all this other extra yeah i don't man i barely watch your videos as it is (laughs) I don't want to yeah. pay you to watch you go to the grocery store. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're posting in those yep. extra in that extra crap. I don't know. That's fair. That's just the kind of where I go with it. It's totally fair. Totally fair. I mean, now the merchandise though is always genius, no matter what business you're in. Yeah, the startup cost is just a little bit, a little bit more than most people are probably ready to throw down for. A hundred percent. Yeah, but at the end of it, when it's all said and done that's essentially free marketing yeah right yep. if, if you get a hundred t-shirts you sell a hundred t-shirts mm-hmm. you just covered even if you don't make a profit you just covered your cost there's a hundred t-shirts floating around mm-hmm. that people are gonna see so it's huge and yeah. that, that that translates in every business yeah we're, we're getting a little off off <laughs> like off into left field here but i agree with everything you just said so um let's talk about some pretty generic questions here like what's your favorite thing about jumping what's your favorite thing about skydiving Flying parachutes. Yeah. Yeah. Flying parachutes. That's uh, my favorite thing every time. I, especially with the tandems, you get really bored. So (laughs) being able to show the passenger like the joy of flying and let them fly the parachute a little bit and Mm -hmm. kind of get the feeling like that, that is You also save on your arms too as well if you let them do it. Yeah. I'm already pretty big. So it doesn't, the arms (laughs) don't bother me as much. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely get what you mean, though, like yeah. for sure. My first year doing it, I was doing a lot more movement than I <laughs> needed to. <laughs> and yeah, after a couple of months of doing tandems, you're like, yeah, I'm not doing all those unnecessary turns <laughs> for no reason. Like, just going to fly off into never, never land, and then I'll turn around halfway there. Okay. So in terms of canopy piloting, canopy, like flying your parachute and stuff, um, what what specifically about it is is what you like is it just the sensation of being under canopy or is it flying fast is it competition is it i i really enjoy all of it okay um i love flying my parachute fast but i also have no issues grabbing like a student 240 and just go do a high pole just to stare at the sunset like you know so there's both sides of it It, the fact that we even get to do it is Mm -hmm. incredible I have a feeling, who knows, hopefully not, but I'd say in like 20, 30 years, we might not be skydiving. 
there might be federal regulations that prohibit or there might just be too many airplanes to have people yeah. doing Yahoo shit. You know, yeah. I don't know. We're gonna have flying cars everywhere that's gonna get in the way. Who knows what it is, you know, but I just I, I just have a feeling that at some point skydiving won't be skydiving. It's just yeah. not gonna be the same, mm-hmm. you know? It, it's already kinda in that way. I mean, I, I started packing parachutes in two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. And growing up on a packing mat and watching like what a big drop zone looks like in the early two thousands mm-hmm. versus what it looks like now. Those are very completely different places. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, fun. <laughs> what you're talking about, though, too, is fundamentally like wiping skydiving off the face of the earth as we know it. You know, like you're, you're talking about like that statement of like it's going to be completely different. Like I, I'm imagining like the fifth element style, like congestion in the air. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like that absolutely. Movie, like, like that's what yeah, I'm yeah. picturing. Like. Like in, in what, like 100, 100 years, maybe like 50, 50, 60 years, like maybe something like that is happening where now you have to worry about all these other obstacles and then they just eliminate it altogether so we can't do it, you know? I mean, at some point, Amazon's going to just start running around drones like a bunch of <laughs> madmen, you know? And, and Can you imagine the first instance of that <laughs> happening where someone hits a drone on your <laughs> like a Like a, like a, not a, not a drop zone terrible. drone, but like an actual, oh my God. That'd be, be terrible. Yeah, that would be finger knock on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> Doesn't happen in our lifetime, the, that's, hopefully. That's where I see, you know, I just think that at some point we're not going to be able to do this anymore. Yeah. And uh I mean, if it's only 20 or 30 years away then <laughs> yeah. I don't have a retirement, you know, like <laughs> I don't have a retirement anyway, but besides the point, you know, I'll be definitely that guy sitting at Walmart. Yeah. Hey, welcome. <laughs> Let me check your receipt. <laughs> Like, that'll be me for sure. Okay. All right. But I was actually having a conversation uh, with one of my students earlier today. And, you know, man, this is so great that you get to do this. And it is. It's super Mm -hmm. fantastic. And that person was doing that jump to knock it off their bucket list. Yeah. And they were turning 30 soon. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm 37. And I feel like by the time I'm getting into my late 40s and 50s, I'm not going to want to be as active anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows, right? Things might change. Mm-hmm. But I would rather live my life now. I've watched people live their whole lives, go to work, you know, put money into your savings, go to work, put money in your savings, and then you're retired and you can barely get off the couch. Yeah. What's the point of having all that all that retirement money if yeah. there's nothing you can do with it except uh-huh. for sit on your couch? Yep. So... Like, that's fair that's totally fair i don't have the highest paying job in yeah. the world but i have a really fun job yeah and it keeps me sane yeah that's, and i'm I'm not going to work thinking totally about fair. killing all my coworkers. <laughs> well not yet <laughs> wait until the the angry august comes around and we'll see we'll see what happens then nah i'm usually I, even at that point i'm still one of the happiest people in the hangar that's good to know it's good yeah. to hear <laughs> what is your least favorite thing about skydiving if there is one Hmm. Least favorite? Well, at the moment, wingsuiters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at least not all of them, just a, a vast majority. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I don't really, I don't really have many complaints. Okay. You know, the, the one thing that I think is sad 
is we're going to start losing twin otters. You think? Yeah. Why do you say that? Well, I mean, they're getting old. They're, yeah. And they're not making a whole lot of new parts for them. Yeah, that's fair. Eventually, over time, we're just not going to have any twin otters left. How long do you think we'll have the sky vans around for? Same. They're they're yeah. they're a dying ship. Yeah. They're on the way out too. Yeah. I would say. Do you think we'll lose the sky van first or the twin otter? It's hard to say. The thing with the sky van is that they're not really using them much, except for big records. Mm-hmm. and military contracts yeah that's the majority of what those planes are being used for mm-hmm. even if you just take it uh, we're gonna host a sky van weekend and mm-hmm. not only are the jump prices like more usually significantly more than an yeah. otter or a caravan but it's a slower ride it's cool if it's the first time doing it yeah. but if you've done a bunch of sky van jumps mm-hmm. it's just loud hot and boring yeah and and people don't really want to jump them military it's the perfect example you, if you're jumping a c-130 or c-17 or something like this you're going to have a tailgate exit so it's it's perfect for them you know the casas will will help fill the role eventually we, when the sky vans are kind of gone then mm-hmm. it'll probably end up being casas maybe somebody will start making something. I don't know. I mean, they started making twin otters again, except for they're, they're like $4 million or something stupid. Yeah. So like a drop zone is never going to buy one because mm-hmm. it's not, it's not good it's not for us. Yeah. yeah. I think they, you think caravans will maybe take over after that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, and Keats even said that he thinks the first, USPA nationals that host caravans and doesn't have twin otters, that's pretty much when twin otters will start dying. Okay. And the reason being is that the main reason twin otters, I feel, are so prevalent, they're really only at big drop zones to begin with. Yeah. But it's mainly because a lot of these professional teams, they want that door for Mm -hmm. that exit. Yeah. So that it's the it's That's a fair point. It's the most perfect exit. Yeah. And then... Uh, the closest exit you're going to get to competition. Yeah. Now, if they're running caravans at competition, mm-hmm. you're going to want to practice out of a caravan. That's super. I didn't even think about it like that. That's totally fair. So it's, it's, it, I think that's the point. If yeah. USPA starts saying, okay, let's use caravans, then twin that's otters are yeah. going to start dying. Okay. Like, they're not going to have a need for them. Totally fair. I yeah. didn't even think about it like that. I'm not a competitor, so I don't, it would not have occurred to me at all, but that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, Keith was the one who uh, who came up with that one, and I. It's pretty spot on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I think so as well. Um, where's your favorite place to fly? Where Where have you Where have you gone that you really love? Uh, any island. Any island. Oh yeah, all the islands. Where have you been to? Uh, I've jumped uh, the Bahamas and Puerto Rico and Panama and. There's got to be one more. Have you ever been to the Virgin Islands? Mm-mm. Jump there? No. no. But yeah, that's my point, though. The islands are super... Islands in general are gorgeous. What is the one... I always forget the name of this. Um, it starts with a P. Palau. Palau? Palau. Yeah, Palau. <laughs> it's P-A-L-A-U. Palau. There's a couple of people from back home who who jumped onto that island and they had a ball. Um, I think that that place is the home to the jellyfish lake where they don't sting you, I think. 
I have no clue. Anyway, it's pretty cool. I think they were one of the first groups out there like that got to jump over there. So they have a stat. The only reason I remember it is because there's a the the woman of the couple has a sticker on the back of her helmet that says Palau on it um, for when she went and jumped there. Someday, someday. Have you ever done the blue hole? No. You going to do it? No. Ever? So a lot of those jumps uh, I don't have interest in. Okay. Like... Um, the Iceland thing, the Egypt thing, Maldives. Everest. Everest. Like these these are, how do I put it? These are um, like Jeff Bezos, like <laughs> going on a skydiving <laughs> okay. trip things. And that's just not for me. Okay. You know, that's not, that's not my thing. If I want to go like to Mexico and go skydive, yep. typically like I'll, I'll go there if it's an event and I'm organizing, but if... I want to go and just have fun by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to go when it's not during a busy event and I can enjoy things a little Fair bit enough. more. Yeah. I've jumped the most island jumps I think I've done have probably been at uh, Pepe's Island, okay. which is in Panama. Yeah. I jumped there. I was wingsuit organizing for three years, I think. Uh, I think it was three times I went and helped. And I did a bunch of jumps. And that place is so beautiful. But if you walk the road around the island, mm -hmm. it's four and a half miles to go in a circle around the island. Oh, wow. It's not very big. Yeah. You don't have a whole lot of space. Yeah. So we definitely had people that we were picking up out of the Pacific Ocean out there. I was going to say times. landing off sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then there's, so you have uh, low or high tide will come in at some point and uh -huh. it swallows up most of the beach. So you've okay. got nowhere to land, which is super great. And then in the afternoon, every day, the winds are going to pick up uh, out of one direction. And the way that the beach is set up, there's like a cliff on one side. Yeah. Well, the wind comes from the cliff. So you yeah. get like the last half of the day, the winds are strong and you everybody's getting dropped out on final. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever jumped, but... At the same time, not my favorite place to jump. Yeah. Sounds very technical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of a pain in the butt. And then the, man, the process of getting to in there is a nightmare, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Fair. Um, what's your favorite discipline in skydiving? I'm gonna laugh if you say wingsuiting. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, no. So um, when I was young, when I was just in high school and, and packing full time, the coolest job I thought at the drop zone was being a free fly load organizer. Okay. So I'll free flying has always been huge for me. Mm -hmm. I actually, by the time I was getting like more serious into wingsuiting, I had way more free fly jumps. Like, okay. But uh, I, I started, I did my first wingsuit jump at 201. But I didn't really pick it up. Yeah. Like I, I was doing it, but I was trying to free fly and, and do angle and do other stuff along the way. Mm -hmm. So by the time I had about 450 jumps, I only had like maybe 80 wingsuit jumps. Okay. So like I, I was definitely still focusing more on, on that side of stuff. And then, you know, the wingsuiting really only became super big for me because I was doing it as a job. Yeah. And, and it turned into a full-time job. I never really planned on being on an acro team and, and doing all this stuff. It just is kind of what came okay. later on. 
What but, kind? What yeah. kind? What type of wingsuit jumps do you have? Like, what have you tried? What, what do you mean? Like, so in the discipline of wingsuiting, there's also a lot of like sub, like I would call them sub disciplines, like or sub oh. subcategories of of wingsuiting. Which ones have you tried? Which ones do you think you enjoy the most versus you know the other ones that you've given a you you've dipped your toes into? Yeah, I've done pretty much everything in a wingsuit. Can that, you that so, you can do? So for someone who doesn't know, can you explain a little bit more about what some of those subcategories are? Um. So. I mean, you're basically starting with just normal flocking. Yep. You learn to just fly with people, mm-hmm. right? As you start getting better at that, you're going to probably start to get into acrobatics where you're learning your transitions and back flying and yep. relative with group and carving and starting to get a bit more advanced. You have performance, which is uh, essentially wingsuits version of swooping. Okay. You have three categories that you get judged in time distance and speed there's uh, altitude window it's from 2500 meters to 1500 meters okay i know this is america and that doesn't make good math <laughs> but it does make good math in the rest of the world so just get over it <laughs> okay and in that thousand meter window you, you know you're trying to perform the best you can and yeah. we're using uh fly sites uh for the gps data that we're okay. that they're collecting there and then it gets judged and thrown into this system. The only real difference is like uh, uh, swoopers have a zone accuracy and we have a time category. Yeah. But the others are relatively the same. You have distance. You're trying to cover as much ground as you can inside that thousand meter window. And you have speed, which is your average horizontal speed through that window. So those two categories are essentially the same as what you have for swooping. Yeah. It's just the the differences is time and and uh, yeah. and zone accuracy, and I hate performance. I hate it with a passion. It's so it's just so intensive. Okay. When I first started doing performance, there wasn't a lot of people doing it. Yeah. And so and because I had spent several years chasing Tony Aragallo around the sky, mm-hmm. and. Even at his old age where he was, he was still one of the top wingsuiters that you would find. Yeah. And I had to chase him all the time just to try to get video of things. And that made me better at performance. So I I got good at performance only because I was trying to chase Tony. Yeah. And then in time, we started doing it more. And, uh, you know, as competition started becoming more serious, I eventually started trying to enter and get involved. But... I was the worst. I still am one of the worst athletes. Like I don't practice enough. I <laughs> I, I just kind of show up and hope that things work out. And mm-hmm. sometimes they don't, and yeah. then it's slightly frustrating. Yeah. But it is what it is. I did most until Tony pretty much stopped doing his own R and D. A lot of times we would be working on suits a week up to the competition. Okay. And so. A week before competition, we'd be like, "All right, we don't. We're out of time now. This is just the final product. This is just what we're gonna fly." Okay. And then he would take two days. He'd put it together, and then here you go, Travis. Go do some jumps. And I would <laughs> usually do two or three practice jumps, and then okay, let's go compete and hope for the best. And it worked out sometimes, and sometimes it failed miserably. 
Okay. All right. It's interesting. I mean, listening to you talk about this is really interesting. Wingsuiting is one of the one of the areas of skydiving that I really have not done a lot of research or like really paid much attention to, just because it's not really. I've had a like really early on in my skydiving career, I had like a fair number of wingsuiting, um, uh, in incidents, events, wings, events that evolved wingsuits. Um, that just put. Uh, me in a place where I was like, if I put a wingsuit on and I start doing this for real, if I actually put a lot of time and effort into this, something is going to go wrong because every other incident or every other instance where I've been involved with wingsuits, something has gone wrong, you know? So I'm just like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to put myself in that situation and test fate and like have, you know, something really, really, really go awry. Um, so this is something that I just don't have a ton of knowledge about. And I don't really know about all those subcategories you talked about. I don't really know anything about what um, competition is like. So this is all going to be really interesting for me. And I think too, for a lot of people listening, especially the ones from back home, like we do not have a wingsuit culture, <laughs> like, a, like a group of people out at our uh, my home drop zone. Like there are not people there who who talk about wingsuiting like this there there's like maybe five people you know on the drop zone maybe five people of like a few hundred you know that know the basics of of wingsuit wingsuiting and like what that's about but other than that like we really don't have like a lot of um i find that that's kind of typical that yeah. a you know you'll have places like paris where it's uh, and Kapausen mm-hmm. where it's like huge yeah right where everybody wings I, re- I remember going to paris that's, for the first time and being like this is nuts like just, how many i remember seeing wingsuits, yeah, yeah it was like it was uh a few years before micah micah couch passed and like he was kind of one of those people that just like had his hands in all of the different spot, like different areas of uh, wingsuiting, but it was like Matt Blank ran the school there, you know, like they had a wingsuiting school there, yeah, like Taya. yeah, you know. So it was just, it was um, it was pretty eye opening to see like how different those those different locations can be. Yeah, they they are very different, but yeah, you can definitely end up with that, or you could find yourself at LSPC in Nebraska and have like one. <laughs> Yeah. And you're yeah. flying out of the Cessna all by yourself. Yeah. So like I get it, you know, like it, there are places where it just it doesn't happen. In 2014 I was traveling around for Wicked Wingsuits. Okay. He they had uh Who is when who who owns that? Who who created that company? So Simon Repton was the uh a, the developer okay. owner. He's the one who created it and then um wow, two three, 2019 or 2020 i don't remember somewhere around there he sold it okay and um so now the new owner well i i guess it's not really new anymore it's been three or four years but uh jorge alonzo okay. he is also uh co-owner at scott of carolina is it still called wicked wingsuits it is okay. yeah yeah all right they, continue with what you're gonna still say. the same Sorry. stuff but they they simon thought it would be hilarious to travel around in an old ambulance <laughs> that was just wrapped in wicked wingsuit stuff so we called it the wambulance <laughs> and it was pretty cool but it had it had the light bar on top it had yeah. all the sirens and everything um surprised i never got pulled over i honestly <laughs> don't know how i did i went to 16 different drop zones that summer uh just bounced all over the country i forget how many how many thousands of miles it was but it was insane yeah and um yeah but what i was getting at one of the smaller groups i i went to um scott of new mexico okay 
And when I was doing my research, trying to build this plan for like how I'm going to go around the country and I'm looking for events mostly. Right. Mm -hmm. And they had an event. So I called them like, cool, what's going on? You know, you guys want to learn how to wingsuit. So there was like two or three people that wanted to learn. So I went to go teach. I thought it was an event weekend. I found out when I got there, it was like some kind of adoption for puppies or something <laughs> like something dog yeah. related I, I i don't even know i was just like oh i thought there's gonna be people here <laughs> okay cool well i mean i'll just teach you guys and you know keep heading on up the road but, <laughs> so yeah i get it there there i've definitely been places where like they, they didn't know where to start yeah you know we need to get on Facebook, I guess, and just find a coach. But then you got to find somebody who's reputable, who's yeah. willing to travel. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, skydiving is already really expensive. So if you're getting coaching, expect it to be expensive. Yeah. Like that's just how it's going to work. You mm -hmm. know, I spent a lot of money to get to where I am. Mm -hmm. I'm going to charge you some of that so I can get a little piece back. Yeah. Although we're never going to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> if if you had to guess how many wingsuit jumps money. you probably have, what do you, where, are you, where do you think the number's at? Somewhere around 4,500. Okay. I, I I was counting. I even I even kept a log of like how many hours I had. At one point, I was going through my altimeter at the end of every day and actually looking at free fall time mm -hmm. and like actually adding up the actual free fall time. Yeah. It was the dumbest thing I'd ever done. <laughs> so now if I do a wingsuit jump, I just put it to minute and a half. Okay. Because I'm going to have some flights that are two and a half minutes. I'm going to have some flights that are one minute. It all evens out. It's going to be around a minute and a yeah. half roughly. Yeah. Which So the last time I checked, and it's way well past this now, I had like over 84 hours of free fall. Mm -hmm. And that's mainly because of wingsuiting. And then, yeah, it was somewhere around 4,500. I don't know an exact number though because I stopped counting. Okay. Interesting. Um, in that time, in that time, how many, how many different types of wingsuits do you think you've flown? Not necessarily different wingsuits, but different types. Well, there, there's only one type. Well, I'm, I mean, different models, different, so <laughs> different I sizes, different, you know, was doing, uh, a lot of testing for Tony suits Okay. when, when um, after I was, you know, developing myself around 2015, 2016, I started helping with development with Tony suits. Mm -hmm. So at pretty much any time Tony made a suit, I got to fly it. Okay. So I did a lot of that stuff. I've flown every suit that has ever been made out of that Tony suits factory. So you're, you're saying you're, you test, you test other people's wingsuits before they head out or just different types, like different prototypes that he's protos. Okay. Yeah. Right. We proto everything. Okay. But yeah, if something's going to get developed, it's going to get protoed first. And usually uh, I get to fly it. Now, now um, Tony sold last summer. So now with new ownership, I, I you know, I'm kind of more out of the loop because I'm in Wisconsin most of the time. So mm -hmm. it's not really the same scenario. So I don't test anymore, really. But, you know, if they sent me something, I would gladly go fly okay. it. The only suits, I just haven't really flown much other stuff. Yeah. I've flown, I flew a Freak once, I flew a Kalugo, I, I flew in a couple, I've flown a couple of squirrel suits. Okay. And I've flown like, I think I flew one Phoenix Fly suit, I think I flew a Strix once. What about a Birdman? No. No. <laughs> I never had the, I never had the, the pleasure. They, I've, I've never had a Birdman suit 
that was my size. I did get to try an S-Fly suit. Okay. So S-Fly was a French, I believe it was a French company. If I'm right, it was made, it was Zune. It was Zune's company. But they're like straight up acrobatic. Yeah. Like if you're not flying that suit fully pinned out in mm-hmm. full flight, it doesn't fly well. Okay. It's kind of weird. All right. But it's so much fun. And that, that was actually one of the first, um, that one was a mono wing. So the wings from the arm feed into the leg. So it's all like a single unit versus Uh the most suits now. I think Squirrel is kind of adapted to getting into that now. But before, you know, five years ago, six years ago, they're independent. Yeah. You know, this arm is separate from this arm, which is separate from the legs. Right? Yeah. Everything's independent. You're talking about like when it would curve down and around like the outside of the leg and like it's all connected to. Is that what you're so talking about? So that's connected to the leg directly. Yeah. But now there are chambers behind the leg. Yeah. Okay. So the air can flow from the wing into the yeah. leg. The only reference I have for this is the Birdman suit. And I think that Birdman suit that I saw like way back in the day, it was the first one I'd ever seen. It was because my ex-boyfriend probably, had one. Probably had a hole in the yeah. crotch where you put the leg straps <laughs> yeah. in. Yep. Yeah. Um, it was the first one I'd ever seen. It was white and orange, I think. And Most of them were white and red. I, I remember seeing, maybe it was just super faded it, red. I, probably, I can't remember. <laughs> most likely. <laughs> but I remember seeing him in it and being like, what is he doing? <laughs> he, <laughs> it, it didn't look anything like a wingsuit would today, like anything like it. But if I remember right, there was like that little bit of edge um, all the way out and around. It like curved. There was no like angle to it. It was literally just an angle all the way, or like a curved angle all the way down from like the um, outside of the outside of the arm or like the very the farthest point of the arm and then all the way down and around out to the leg. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So when you said like there are like all the things are connected, you have to fly it completely straight. I was like, I got it. I, I know that reference. I've seen that before. <laughs> cool. Yeah. The, right. the Birdman suits were kind of similar. They, well, at the time they didn't know a lot about them. So yeah. if you weren't like getting the most out of it and really mm-hmm. pushing the suit, it wasn't inflating properly. Yeah. And you need the inflation to keep the rigid shape for it mm-hmm. to have that aerodynamic um, shape that we're looking for so yeah. that the glide is easy, yep. right? If it's not the right shape, then it's not easy anymore. Yeah. So that's all that is. And it's, they obviously like development has gotten better and better and they learned a lot about, you know, the Ram Air technology and like how to apply that into wingsuiting. So there is a lot of that. Yeah. And some of the wingsuits even have um, kind of like a semi airlock where there's, you have uh, the vent and there's mesh inside of the vent, but then behind that piece of mesh, it will be like a flap of ZP. Yeah. So as the air is coming in, that's fine. As it builds pressure and it starts to get rigid, that ZP will sit down and then yeah. it's, it's not taking in as much. Yeah. Um, but usually that's only done on like race suits yeah. because you need the performance all the time. Yeah. That airlock, like, that airlock thing you just mentioned, like so many skydivers aren't even going to have any clue what you just talked about. Because I mean, think about how like the know, airlock, airlock canopies, canopies are, like, are like not yeah. a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know what an airlock canopy is? Go look up the PD Vengeance. <laughs> or a Jedi. Um, I had a Jedi. Was it a Jedi? Yeah, it was a Jedi that did that. I remember there was yeah. one lady way back, um, Erica Mundinger, actually. She was just, she was on this podcast when I first started this. Um, <laughs> she used to like carry that Jedi in, but it would be completely fully inflated behind her no matter what the wind conditions were. It was like every time. Every time. Yeah, every time. <laughs> I had one and uh, I put a bunch of jumps on it. It was great. I loved it. But yeah, at the end of the day, having an airlock canopy yeah. is not fun. Especially on a windy day. You know, it's so, <laughs> I, 
you don't know what you don't know. At the time, I'm like, but it's rigid. Yeah. This is going to be great. Yeah. You don't think about it. Yeah. But, you know, when, when you have a non-cross brace, uh, like Sabre 2, right? Your incel just kind of accordions a little, and it comes back out, and it reinflates, and you're good. Not on that Jedi. No. <laughs> that thing just folds up and yep. just starts doing violent crap, and you're like, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's not that turbulent. Stop <laughs> big it, big air sports. Brian Germain. Big air was yours are an original? So I don't I don't know. Uh I don't remember which one mine was, but it was definitely a Jedi. I, okay. mine didn't even have a warning label. Okay. Well then it probably was because he, he um he didn't put the warning as far as I know, he didn't put the warning labels on for a long time, but then when he did start doing it and it was like hand cut ones, he would put a smiley face on it. Like he would I, I don't remember if it was a stamp or if it was a uh uh, Sharpie but like he would put a smiley face on it and that was how you knew it was like a hand cut Brian Germain one like didn't didn't get laser cut like none of those things yeah I don't think mine was I don't think mine even had a had a uh, a label on it did it have like a left or a, a right built-in turn or something like that no mine okay. was okay my mine was surprisingly fine I mean cool. the openings on it were the longest thing ever yeah but other than that, it was it was a good parachute. Interesting. I I didn't jump it much. You know, they I was that was the about the time when I was like, okay, I need to wingsuit more. Like I I you know, mm-hmm. had people that were doing it all the time, and I need to do it more. So I was trying to do it more, but at the same time, I was like, man, I, this is not the right canopy for it. Yeah. So I ended up getting. I had a saber. OG Sabre 150, and then I went to the 135, and then I got a Sabre 2 120. And that's what you were wingsuiting with? Yep. Okay. I that was That's still one of my favorite um, wingsuiting parachutes. The Sabre 2 120? Yeah, I had... A lot of people didn't like them, the Sabre 2s, but I feel like 90% of the people that complained about their Sabre 2s had micro line, yeah. and they were out of trim. Yeah. Like if you're not going to maintain your parachute, it's not going to do what you want it to do. Mm-hmm. Like that's just that's just how it works. Yep. I got mine, it had like 700 jumps on it. Never original line set, everything. I knew it needed a new line <laughs> set, and I'm like, "Nah, it'll be fine." So I was wingsuiting <laughs> with it and then got tension knots and had to cut it away. And when I do free fly jumps, I didn't have issues with it. Mm-hmm. But the the centers were like four and a half inches out of trim. Mm-hmm. It's really long. Yeah. So wingsuiting the openings were just slow enough that it would give it time <laughs> to like let it do stupid stuff. Yeah. What would you consider some of your greatest achievements in skydiving so far to be? What do you think? The um well we won worlds once. That was cool. Who's we? The we were team Wicked Wingsuits, I think, at the time. Okay. I think I don't know, we've changed our name many times. <laughs> He's like, who wants to give us more sponsorship money this year cuz you get your name on the team. I think we were the the Wicked Wingsuits A team that year. But we had that was me, Wes Sandler, and Anthony Zerbonia. Anthony's been my teammate since the beginning. Okay. And then we've ended up switching in videographers here and there. Okay. 2015 Nationals, which was the first wingsuit Nationals, was 
one of my biggest moments because I ended up getting uh, gold in acrobatic and gold in performance. Okay. After that, my performance just went straight downhill. <laughs> I still did pretty well in acrobatics. You know, we we would either win or be second at nationals every year after that. Mm -hmm. And then most years at worlds, we were first or second. You know, we were really high up. Mm -hmm. But um, so it was, we always did really well in acrobatic, but performance, I very quickly started getting tired of it. Okay. And I really only did it just because I was good at speed and I enjoyed doing distance. Like distance was, is a really fun challenge. And one of my, for me, a great judge of if you're good performance flyer is how well you do in distance okay because distance is kind of the middle of the road you know the light guys do good at time the heavy guys do good at speed yeah so if you're if you're good at distance that's telling me that you're super strong in one of the two areas or mm -hmm. maybe even both yeah so distance was always the one that i was always super super appealing for okay. me um but yeah i got super lucky we won nationals in acrobatic and then for performance, we, I had slipped into first place. Uh, I don't even remember what the days were. Saturday, we'll just say it was Saturday, right? And mm -hmm. the last day of competition was Sunday. And we woke up Sunday morning and it was just cloudy, dog crap, like no way. If we'd have made two more skydives that day, I would not have won that competition. Okay. Like there's no way. I wouldn't have. Because the, the next event we were doing was time. Which right. is my worst event anyway. So the only place I could have gone would have been down. Mm -hmm. I, I could not have gone any higher, right? I could only go down. Mm -hmm. So having the meet director call it for weather was like the greatest thing ever <laughs> because I ended up getting a gold medal for it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if uh, if they had, if we had even done one jump that day, I, I probably wouldn't have got first place. Okay. So that's just the luck of the dice with skydiving, though. <laughs> I mean, it's that's probably not the first time something like that has happened, and it's probably not going to be the last time either. That, oh, definitely that, not. That uh, I mean, like those are all things that you have to keep in keep in mind, and you have to be good across the board in order to be the best of the best. You know? Yeah, so, swooping is one of the ones that is the most wind dependent. Yeah. So, yeah, and that happens in swooping quite often, where you know you might say you just did round six but yeah. half of the group in round six uh, are supposed to get re-jumps but uh -huh. it's the last day of competition so then they just end up scrapping round six yeah well round six might have put you in first place yeah round six might have also put you in fifth place mm -hmm. so it just depends on where you're at you yeah. know but yeah that year i got lucky <laughs> winning i will take it let's talk about the world team Okay. Um, so what was that like? Like what? Com so that was in 2015. Was that the? So Worlds is every. I mean, they do Worlds every year. Okay. So was it a team that you were on, or was it that you just won? And 2015 does... wasn't Worlds yet. That was Nationals. Okay. USBA Nationals. So I think the first World Meet um, for wingsuiting was 2016. Okay. And that was in Netherhaven. All right. And so it was. Correct me if I'm wrong. You win nationals and you qualify for worlds, right? Is Correct. that how that works? Yeah. So you and your team went to worlds, right? We didn't go 2016. Oh. No, I didn't even have a passport. And they, so <laughs> um, I don't either. think acrobatic, yeah, acrobatic wasn't approved for 2016. Okay. So it was really backwards because yeah. performance got accepted by the FAI, but not acrobatic. And then the year after acrobatic, 
So the first year, 2017, was um, the second FAI of wingsuit flying for performance, but mm-hmm. the first wingsuit acrobatic. Okay. So like the title was like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> the second and the first, and it was just super confusing. I think at some point they just got rid of it and they okay. just it's just wingsuit yeah. worlds now kind of yeah. thing. But yeah, the first couple the first year that they had it like that, it was it was the first wingsuit acro, but the second wingsuit performance. Yeah. So it was really, really confusing. It was just a little fun. Yeah. Yeah. 2017. And that one we got, I got silver in performance and I got, we got silver in acrobatic. In na- At nationals or at worlds? That one was at worlds. Okay. So where was the worlds meet at that point? Z Hills. It was, it was in Z Hills. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. 2017 worlds was at Z Hills. And then uh, the 2017... Uh, nationals. Oh, where was that at? That might have been at CSC again. I was going to say, was that the Mon, Mondial? Mon, what was it? The Mondial. Was that what it is? I that can't was remember. That was at Chicago. Oh, I can't remember. Sorry. The Mondial was at Scott Chicago. I remember seeing the the logo for it. Yeah, that was eh. at that was at Scott Chicago. Okay. I don't I don't know. We weren't in that somehow. Okay. And I don't remember why. I don't. I don't think we were in that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you just compete. You don't necessarily have to podium or win. Or yeah. Anything? You well. So it depends. If it's a cup, um, they'll send two teams. If it's a championship, they'll send one team. It's slightly different for each discipline. Mm-hmm. So like for swooping, I think it's like a championship is like eight people, and then a cup is like twelve people. It's different for each discipline. How do they tell if it's going to be a cup or a championship ahead of time? It's just alternate. Oh, okay. So, right. like, the first year an event's ever done, yeah. it's it's a cup. Okay. So, let's say let's say next year is the very first XRW national competition or uh, world competition. It would be a cup because it's the first one. Yep. The second one would be a championship, and then they alternate back and forth. Okay. So it's cup champion, cup Makes champion, sense. cup champion. It's really annoying because why, the why cup is that? the cup is technically a lower grade, if yeah. you will. So there have been times in the past, especially in like four way and VFS and like some of the higher skill, where teams won't go to a cup because it doesn't mean as much. Yeah. Okay. And they'll just they'll just go to the championships huh. now if you're super serious with things and you're sponsored by everybody you, you you have to just go to every event i was gonna say for the rest of us peons though if you're trying to get sponsored going to a cup on a year everybody else isn't going seems like it would better your odds to yeah do well and then potentially for get sure. more sponsorships or more attention on you potentially strategery it is a little bit hard though because skydiving is such a small sport it's hard to be sponsored Mm -hmm. you know like i'm sure pd would love to give everybody you know just the super cheap discount of like hey you just pay this but like that's not how it works or else they'd be out of business we got to find some outside outside sponsorship from uh from companies that aren't necessarily specific to skydiving so we actually thought about that and we had a plan to approach a couple of different companies 
the one company we ended up approaching um, was a beer company, and, <laughs> and they were just like, "Yeah, we don't see the value." Like, oh, just come and spend spend the evening here on a Saturday night <laughs> in like July. You will see the value. Okay, I promise you. I promise you, you'll see if the you value. Send me a truckload of your product. <laughs> I will have it sold. I will by have the end of the week. All of the photos. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it is difficult. And it's such a small sport, you know. It's it's yeah. until it really blows up, you know, if if it's like in the Olympics, then mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a chance. But at the at the time now, it's not yeah. really there. Do you think the X Games coming back would open things up like in terms of sponsorship like other potentially, places? Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. I mean, Red Bull and Monster Energy like those two and Rockstar, like mm-hmm. those those three companies like to really go head to head at each other, especially yeah. in the extreme sport content. Mm-hmm. So Red Bull already has skydiving athletes. Yeah. I could easily I'm surprised that Monster and Rockstar don't. That's the thing, is I could yeah. easily if if it if skydiving was bigger, if skydiving was in the X games, then Rockstar and Monster would have to compete. Like yeah. they, they would just have to. All you twenty-something influencers, that is your in. <laughs> That's where you belong. Yeah, monster, you got monster athlete. You got five wingsuit jumps. Go get a freak. <laughs> They're gonna sponsor you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just I'm thinking. What, no, I can't say it. I can't, I can't. You gotta make sure you get the dye supplement too. <laughs> if it doesn't have at least fifteen Monster Energy logos on there, yeah. then it's not. It's not appropriate. I have seen a Pornhub wingsuit. I would, I would jump that. I would do it. Fuck it. I don't care. I yeah, would. I don't know how, what he did or how he got it, <laughs> but I saw a guy with a Pornhub. Fuck it. Fuck and it. Um, you want to yeah. pay for my jumps? Fuck it. <laughs> That's cool, man. Whatever makes you happy. And teammate Anthony, we got sponsored by Pit Viper sunglasses for a season. Yeah. The letter that he sent them was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, absolutely insane. Like, I get laid so much because of these. And, like, <laughs> just nonsense like that, right? They sent us two free pairs apiece. That was six pairs of sunglasses Jesus. that they sent us. And they charged, I don't know what they're, like $80 a pair. Something stupid. Wow. I wouldn't buy those. Yeah. Like... Yeah. They're okay. Yeah. I wouldn't buy them. <laughs> but like, I'm a little past that. Yeah. I, I do like the ones, Ben, and um, I don't like the ones that look like they're literally plastic. Like, like it's like a, it's like a sheet. You know what they remind me of? They're the one, you know what I'm talking about? The ones that just have the top, the top connector points and that they're yeah. like completely open on the other side. Yeah. They remind me of. Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. They remind me of the ones you get at the eye doctor. Where you like unroll them and you put them on and they just stick right here on your temples and then you take them out. That's what they remind me of. Um, and every sunglass, like pair of sunglasses that look like that, that's what I am immediately reminded of. But I like the ones that Ben and Langford have, like the, the yeah. mad scientist goggles. Yeah. Those ones I can get behind. Those are the ones that I had got ordered through them. Those were also my, they they're, uh, they call them the exciters. <laughs> the Okay. They have all kinds of silly names for their stuff, but it's great. It's perfect marketing. The uh, the side piece of them, yeah. There's there's like a little slit between the lens itself and the actual like 
ear arm piece, whatever you call that thing. Yeah. So it's just like a little, you know, side block, you know, <laughs> cut out the little side vision. Yeah. They called them Brooke Shields. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Like the actress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have some of the most ridiculous names for their stuff, but it's great marketing. They have this, um, it's a belt that has six slots for your beers. <laughs> it's a beer belt. It's for when you're snowmobiling? Of, or just for a when bunch you're of koozies. Dirt b- <laughs> I mean, you can use that for anything. I'm going to go take the dog for a walk with that thing. <laughs> you, can, you can do anything. Oh, right? man. I mean, no one said they had to be beers. Yeah. Pit vipers, man. Aren't they like stupid expensive sunglasses too? Oh, yeah. 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 I want to say they were about 60 bucks a pair. But I don't, I don't remember exactly. Interesting. Again, I never paid for a pair. Yeah. But my I mean, if we're gonna, did. if we're, <laughs> if we're gonna talk about sunglasses, on uh, Nalini Raymer, if she's listening to this, Nalini Raymer turned me on to the pair that I use these days, and I don't think I'll ever go back. Um, these ones are called Humps, like my humps. Okay. Um, they've got a, a tiny little camel insignia on the side, um, but they're flexible. So like when you put them in, like they adjust into your helmet really well. Oh, um, nice. And they look like they look like Ray Bans, like the front of them, um, and they're nice and small so that they don't like the points of them don't uh, kick out to the sides, but they're proportionate to your face. So it's like I really like Ray Bans. The original OG yeah. Ray Ban style yeah. is like one of my favorite styles. Yeah. I really like those, but I I can't do it. I cannot spend a hundred and something dollars on a pair of sunglasses. So, I mean, I have had those, right? I, when, um, liquid, uh, I don't know if you were, you remember liquid sunglasses? Yeah. I remember those. Like no hinge single, like these are the most epic skydiving glasses you can get. And they were pretty dope. Yeah. So you, you break them because there's no hinge, right? You're, you're going to break them. Uh It's inevitable. Yeah. So I had a pair of those. Uh, $110, you know, I used them for a year, broken. I had a pair of Oakleys, same, uh-huh. used them gators. for a year, broken. Did I didn't break, like the gators. You never have gators? I remember seeing the liquids and like people them. had they like the, thin. people had the things like attached to them and they would just put them on, take, or they'd put them on and then take them off and they would just hang there like right in front of them. I remember yeah. seeing liquids like that all the time. Gators too as well. I had the liquids that had the... They were like the fatter style. Yeah. So they were slightly larger. They didn't look quite as silly. Mm-hmm. I had those. Okay. But the, I never liked the gators. I don't know. There's something about the look of the gators that <laughs> was just like, man, you look like a douche canoe. <laughs> I like, can totally get behind that. Straight I was up. like, why do people wear these? Like, I remember saying, I thinking that as like an 18 year old in skydiving. I remember at that at that drop zone too we had gator dealers we had people who were dealing them on the drop zone yeah we like, did too yeah and and at the time like they had them in the gear store yeah they had a whole stand that had i i want to say the first time i went in there there was at least 10 pairs of sunglasses i bet you they're there. still there i'm like what <laughs> in the f- is going on at z hills right yeah yeah i bet you they're still there yeah maybe it is possible <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of old timers there, so they could have been gotten by now, but yeah. who knows? <laughs> Snapped up finally. It's possible. <laughs> All right. Let's get back on off sunglasses, back onto worlds. Um, what was the process like getting to the to, to worlds? Like what w- well, so I guess we've already kind of talked about that. So maybe we'll scrap that that topic, but or that that question. Um, will you be competing anytime in the future again? Yeah, the next world meet for us is in August. Okay. And that's in Czech Republic. Yeah, and we were just so, talking about that. Yeah, we get to uh, 
Yeah. Beautiful, scenic Czech yeah, Republic, right? It's gorgeous. With all the castles. It is gorgeous. <laughs> it actually is really pretty. But the, my only complaint was, okay, so this year, all the other disciplines of skydiving mm-hmm. are going to Norway for worlds. Yeah. I want to go to Norway for worlds. <laughs> you should send a letter. Just say why. Like, what the... F- why on? do they do that? Why do they why do it's they change? It's up to the drop zone. So the drop zone when they're putting in a bid for worlds, uh-huh. they put in what they're doing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if they don't want to include wingsuiting, they don't have to kind okay. of thing. It I know it sounds really stupid and weird because yeah. well it's still skydiving, right? I get it. I I know it is. Trust me, I'm I'm living this world too. But <laughs> It just doesn't work that way. Uh, in some cases, it's more of an airspace restriction. And some cases, it's just they don't want the headaches. And okay. I don't know what their scenario was. I just know that I'm sad that I don't get to go to Norway. I've always been, I've always wondered why like swoop competitions for nationals and for worlds are always at a different location than all the free fall stuff, you know? And I've always wondered why. Same. It's availability. Okay. It's, it's and the matter, like you need a pond, yeah. right? If you don't so have So drop zones have to bid, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are they bidding money or what is it they're throwing down? It's not really, huh, no. <laughs> if you're hosting nationals, you're probably losing money. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually kind of messed up, and I don't understand it really because I would think that USPA would try to help more in some way, shape, or form. I don't know if it's more of a USPA issue or a wingsuit or a, a, a specific drop zone issue, but essentially, at some point, it's gonna get too expensive for the normal skydiver to compete. Yeah, and there, if competitions are going to continue to thrive some way somehow it's going to have to be profitable for drop zones to want to do it yeah okay i mean that's just how it is though right now the only drop zones that you're going to see that are going to do nationals are basically the big ones that are used to doing it Mm -hmm. which is essentially arizona rayford and scott of chicago yeah those and paris sorry paris also does it quite a bit but those four drop zones, they don't care. They have plenty of otters. They don't mind. They'll do it. They'll have fun. It's okay. cool. But they know that they're not going to make money on it. Yeah. Right? The last one that was at Skydive Chicago last year, Yeah. the swoop meet was here at uh-huh. Skydive Midwest because we have a swoop pond. Yeah. They do not have a swoop pond. If it hadn't been for us putting in a bid... And saying we'll pick up that that portion of the the nationals, yeah, it would have been you know Rayford or yeah. Scott of Sebastian or West Tennessee, you know, one of these drop zones that has a pond and mm-hmm. they they have the capability of hosting. Interesting. So yeah, it's kind of weird, but who who decides it then? Like so, once all the bids are in, who who decides it? Is it so ESPA like on a, on a national? Is it okay? So then for Worlds, who decides it? Uh, that I believe is part of the ISC International huh. Skydiving Committee. There is an international skydiving committee, huh? Yeah, it's all wrapped under like FAI, um, the Federal Aeronautical, whatever, whatever. <laughs> okay, I think it's Italian or something. I don't, I never pronounce it correctly. All but right. There is there is some kind of spectrum. I don't know exactly how that works. Uh-huh. I just know that if you want to do the event, you 
basically are, are presenting um, some kind of bid. There's stipulations to it. I, I, of course, I don't know all of them. Okay. But you have to have X number of aircraft, X number of uh, space at the facility, X number of uh, available accommodations in the area. You know, it's there's kind of a lot that goes into it. Okay. A lot more than you would think, really. All right. Good to know. Um, last question here. What kind of advice do you have for other jumpers who are interested in getting into wingsuiting or who might already be in wingsuiting but are interested in pursuing it further? Become a better angle flyer. Really? Yeah. Track better. Okay. Yeah. You want to be a good wingsuiter? Go learn how to fly your body correctly. Okay. Why is that? Some of the best wingsuiters I've ever known are absolute ninjas outside of their wingsuit. Huh. And wingsuiting is easy for them because they fly their bodies naturally really, really well. Okay. Some of the best wingsuiters I've ever known are absolute ninjas in the tunnel. Okay. So you want to be a good wingsuiter? Don't put on a wingsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Not until you get all the other boxes checked out. Yeah, man. Right? Like, so 200 jumps to be able to wingsuit is way too low to begin with. Yeah. Like, I don't agree with it. I personally wish it was at least 350. Mm-hmm. Like, if... If it was my say, you need a D license. You go get a D license, and then I'll let you put a wingsuit on. It's not that people can't fly it. If you if you start off and you're like, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to be wingsuiting. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. At jump number 50 or 75, whatever it is, you're uh-huh. like, all right, I've, I've killed my belly skills. I've put an hour and a half into the tunnel. Mm-hmm. I'm super solid on my belly. I learned back flying. All right, now I'm going to step it up. And then you start free flying mm-hmm. or you start tracking, right? Yeah. That's great. Free flying is great for wingsuiting because do you remember your first 10 jumps trying to sit fly? Or did you yeah. learn in the tunnel? No, I learned in the sky. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So you <laughs> yeah. so you remember those jumps. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's just a flailing dog shit everywhere, right? I was right? spinning a lot. I was spinning a ton yeah. on, on my sit. But it teaches you to not panic. Yeah. Because you can just stop, go back to your belly, uh-huh. and everything's recovered. Yeah. Wingsuiting, it doesn't exactly happen that easily sometimes, right? You start to get doing something that you really shouldn't have been doing, and now you're out of control. Uh-huh. And it's not always an easy fix, Yeah. right? If you have a lot of time in the suit or you have a lot of time in the sky, it becomes an easy fix. Uh But when you have 205 skydives and you've never really pushed yourself Mm -hmm. and now you're panicking, you're going to have a really bad time. So I personally, I think that it should be at least 350 jumps that you have before you should really start wingsuiting. And to me, it's more of building time in the air. Yeah. Right. Just overall situational awareness. Yeah. Right. Where are your other fun jumpers? I don't know how many times I've seen somebody who 215 jumps and they're on wingsuit number 10 and they just did a flyby on a tandem and had no clue. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like stuff like that is just yeah. situational awareness that more time in the sky they would have maybe thought about like, oh, man, I'm flying right back up jump run. Yeah. But when you don't know and you panic and you're looking forward and not looking down or whatever the case may be, you mm-hmm. know, there's always things that, that are just going to go wrong that you didn't plan for. Um, and 
people just do dumb stuff. Yeah. Especially early on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the same reason why they, for, I don't think they do it for the Sigmas. The the strong, you had to have a cutaway before you get a tandem rating. Mm-hmm. So they have that tritum rig. And yeah. you, you go do an intentional cutaway. You know, the same kind of thing I, I feel like should be very valuable for wingsuiting, you know? Show me that you are very proficient in this method, you know? Mm-hmm. Go show me that you can safely do a track dive yeah. and land on the drop zone consistently. Mm-hmm. And then, cool, we'll just go do that. The problem is is that you need 200 jumps. Yeah. The USBA definition of a wingsuit coach is an experienced wingsuiter. That is the most vaguest freaking sentence <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. So you're telling me that somebody with 10 jumps could consider themselves experienced and now they can teach someone else? Mm-hmm. There's no real regulation to it. Mm-hmm. There are good and bad things to both of those, right? Like regulation is good in one sense, but uh, <clears throat> you know, crew dogs aren't regulated and they haven't killed all themselves yet. So <laughs> there is a balance to it. We don't need it regulated, yeah. but some people do. Yeah. Like... If you don't tell certain people, no, man, you can't do that, Yeah. then that's exactly what they're going to go do. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't know the difference and they don't care. They're just there for their entertainment and they don't really care who gets hurt around them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I definitely wish it was higher. Okay. But I'm not going to be able to change anything. So go learn to fly your body really, really well. Yeah. Before you throw on a wingsuit. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. All yeah, right. Get super good. Get super good at all the things before you put on the on the wingsuit. And then it just makes life easy. Yeah, I like the I like the analogy of like getting like trying wing or trying uh free flying and then learning how to bail out of it. You know, like that's a that's a good. I think that's a a good um, piece of advice, especially for wingsuiting, because like you can't take that thing off when you're in free fall, no, and if man. something goes wrong, like how are you gonna handle it? Right. What are you gonna do to get yourself out of that side spin or that flat spin in your in your for wingsuit? Sure. Yeah, I'd much rather you panic without the suit on. Yeah, you know that's fair. And then cool, mm-hmm. and then go away. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I've had. I don't know. I've definitely had a handful of people throughout the years that did a jump or two with me, and mm-hmm. it was just like, you're not ready. Yeah. Like, they had enough skydives. Like, technically, you can fly that thing, but mm-hmm. man, you are extremely unsafe. You don't understand that you're unsafe, which is yeah. even more unsafe, and you're not listening. Yeah. So, like, I'm not working with you anymore. That's fair. And I've only had to do it a few times, uh, less than a handful. And it sucks, but at the same time, like, you know, you got to do the right things. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah, you got to do the right things. You got to hope that that person's going to understand and like listen and take some advice from what you're saying. But you also, I mean, I understand not wanting your name attached to that either. Like, not not wanting to be associated with someone who's clearly not listening and not not following the rules or not even following the rules, but like taking basic safety advice from someone who knows better. You know? Yeah, skydivers yeah. already don't want to listen. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's how I ended up here and not in the military. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, That being said, that's all I got for you, man. Like, I really appreciate you taking some time. We're we're about an hour and a half into this. Like, I really appreciate you taking some time to chat and, like, let me learn a little bit more about you. Letting everybody else that's going to listen to this, like, learn a little bit more about you. Like, it's very nice of you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I hope you had fun. I always have fun doing podcast stuff. It don't don't matter to me, none. (laughs) 
Give me a couple beers. I'll talk about myself all night. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, he's got his little LaCroix there. What, what flavor is that? Hey, you didn't have to say that I was drinking water. <laughs> is it orange? It is orange. It's my favorite thing about little LaCroix. And pretty much any flavored water that you get, like carbonated water, it's like it's a it's like a truck of oranges passing passing by you. That's like the flavor, the amount of flavor you get in there. Like You take a sip, it's like a truck of oranges just passed you, passed you by. Not, <laughs> not quite like the orange flavor in your mouth, you know? Yeah, it's not the same for me growing <laughs> up in Florida. That's good. <laughs> And being able to walk outside yeah. and just grab oranges <laughs> off the tree, like there's, it's a little bit different. Yeah. But I do, I do like my my bubbly water. Bubbly water. It's so nice. Well, cool. That's neat. Um, thank you again. Appreciate it. We're gonna end it here, guys. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Be safe. Fun skydives. Good night. <laughs>